I think being light on your feet is, is kind of key. You know, we have a lot of trip hazards, I'd call them. Oh, yeah. So just being yeah, being, being able to uh, maneuver through this country. You need to, and, and, and there's times we need to be quiet, too. So that ability to, you know, step lightly and, and softly and when you need to, that's uh, pretty critical. Yeah, a lot of the information I use for this season is what I gained from last season. So every year I try to do a little bit of exploring. I'll do a lot of e-scouting in the off season, looking at new places, trying to figure out how the terrain, how the land lays. You know, elk hunting in it's just miserable in my opinion. You can't hear the bulls. They don't, you know, they're not as active. They're not, their world, you know, goes from, you know, they hear something a mile away and they're interested and when it rains and windy, it just has to be right in front of them. So it makes it, makes it a lot harder on us. I know I usually just have fun, man. We, uh, we're fortunate to have these opportunities year after year to go out, and chase our own food. And, uh, yeah, it's just a blessing, quite honestly. Keeps yeah. us healthy, keeps us focused on something, keeps us from going insane. Uh, <laughs> turn the damn TV off and uh, just enjoy your time out there with your friends and, and the wildlife. Welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. I'm going into my 15th year of podcasting. Can't believe it's been that long. I want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content, etc. It hasn't been easy but uh, it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting. Speaking of helping me keep this going, please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could, go to Howl for Wildlife and become a member. We have partnered with Go Hunt, so now you could get your cake and eat it too. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt and if you look at their insider full subscription, it's $149. And with the insider, you get the Explorer as well. So we have both packages, but Explorer is is their mapping software. And it's completely dedicated just to hunting. You know, it's got the public and private land boundaries, offline maps, 3D, point tracker, and all the Western states are included. It's a, it's a great tool. So you get that plus with the Insider, you get the advanced filtering and search tools, industry leading draw odds, unit profiles, and uh, easy to read state regulation overviews, and species profiles, and expert insights, and all this exclusive content plus monthly giveaways. So the Go Hunt Insider subscription is an awesome deal, right? But it's $149 a year. And if you've been on the fence and didn't know you, if you wanted to spend that $149, let me tell you, it's really worth it. But we're going to make it even sexier for you because if you come to Howlful Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a Insider or a Explorer package, you not only get a free subscription to Go Hunt and get all those awesome benefits that we talked about, but you get all the benefits of becoming a Howl for Wildlife member. And that includes our discounts with our partners, 20% or more with our partners. You are automatically included in the Howl for Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause. Alpha Wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for, for perpetuity here and so that our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it. And uh, it's a really great system, and we're super thankful that uh, Go Hunt jumped on board with us. And um, it's a great way to support Halfa Wildlife. It's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use. I use Go Hunt Insider all the time. I've been a member for a very long time, and it's how I get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there. And now you're getting extra stuff with it. So it's a great, great system. So go check it out. Become a member today. And uh, let's roll into this next episode. Thanks. Hi, welcome to Days and Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. 
Today, uh, we're talking to my buddy, Shannon Mobs. We're going to talk a little elk. We're leaning up to the season here and just kind of putting the finishing touches on a few things and going to kind of pick his brain a little bit, maybe hear a story or two and uh, go from there. What's going on, man? Hey, John. How you doing, bud? Uh, super busy. Super busy, yeah. but good. Getting ready. I'm leaving uh, Monday for New Mexico to do a little antelope hunting. Never been out there to antelope hunt. So kind of excited wow. about that. And uh, Is that a hard to draw tag? Well, see, I have a friend out there that's got a cattle ranch, and he doesn't hunt. And we were talking and blah, 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 and he's got enough land that I can get a landowner tag. So no, wow. I didn't draw it. <laughs> I got a landowner. Wow. But I have no clue. He has no clue. He's, you know, he sees goats on the property and you know and, and deer and whatever and uh, i know those units over there are good antelope hunting so i don't know what to expect he lives here in arizona like you know he inherited it from his grandfather or whatever and you know it, it gets leased out pretty much to another guy who runs cattle on it so oh. so it's just like one of those situations where yeah it sounds like it could be promising, but I really don't know, you know, till I get there. And uh, and the, and when you do that landowner tag, it's only good for three days. So it's a three oh, day. Wow. But it's any weapon, so I can use a rifle. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna br- I'm gonna bring. So you only is there only one tag? Uh no, two. I got two. There's two. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, me and uh, Shane, um, Shane Edgar, who who guides yeah. for me, my good friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, him and I are gonna run out there. It'll be his first oh. antelope hunt ever, so be interesting. Wow. Exciting, man! That's a good time. Yeah, yeah. Goats are fun. They're probably they are. They are. Yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, I prefer to. Of course, I prefer to hunt elk because I one, I like the calling and I like bugles and mm-hmm. the area that they occupy and so on and so forth better, and they taste way better. I'm not a big fan of antelope meat, but. All in all, antelope hunting is probably the funnest. I don't know how much you've done of it, but you get more yeah. shots, more opportunities than any other you know game ever. Because like, yeah, it's an all day long thing. Yeah, exactly. And With you'll do like five stalks, five stalks yeah. in a day, six stalks in a right. day, you know, versus four or five in a week, you know. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very visual kind of style of hunting. Yeah. A lot of glassing. Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I've done it. I've done it in Wyoming, uh, both uh, spot and stock with my bow and sitting on water holes. Yeah, I killed a nice little goat. Um, you know, it's not a uh, annual thing for us, but we we do buy buy tags and points or buy points and then try to draw every now and then. So right. Yeah, I used so to, I was doing it. Change. I was doing it pretty regularly. I did it like five or six years in a row, actually. Yeah. So I I. I Killed two in South Dakota and four in Wyoming, spot and stalk, and then I killed another one on water in Wyoming. So I don't know if I'd like the water thing. That was tedious. Yeah. Um, I just kept you know, seeing when, goats when way we out did there it, and wanting to go after them. I hear you, man. And and I think that's the funnest way of doing it is spot and stalk. But definitely successful when you sit on water in the right spot. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah. I got a few questions for you in leading up to the hunts here. I got several guys send me some. Uh, let's see here. One of the, well, this is, I think it's probably a little late for this question, but mm-hmm. it's something to good to keep people in their, in their heads from moving into next year, I guess. But what are, uh, what are some of the things you're doing leading up to the hunt to prepare yourself physically, mentally? you know, gear, gear, et cetera, all that stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really stop doing it. So I might ramp my, um, you know, exercise a little bit, um, up in like July or something, mean outside more hiking and whatnot. But as far as my gym time, mm-hmm. um, it dropped off significantly during COVID cause all the gyms are shutting down, but, and I find getting back into it hard has been, been pretty difficult. I'm getting older in age, so I think my recovery is kind of slowing down. That's no excuse to to not do it, though. So, yeah, I do a lot of stair climber, treadmill stuff, a little bit of weights, nothing too crazy. I do that throughout the year, so um, I don't wait for 
September to get close to, to do it. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's the physical I, side of it. I'd say, you know, just keeping a well-rounded all year long type thing. I, yeah. I kind of do the same thing. I have, I have some ramping up that I do and I start changing things as I'm leading up to season. Like I stop the, I think like the, the strength training, meaning not strength training. Cause I still do strength training, but instead of me trying to get stronger, now I switch from the lower rep heavy, you know, trying to get heavier every, you know, every time or whatever to more of a total body type workout and higher reps and keeping the same weight through each set type, type deal. And I definitely like to ramp up the, the cardio a little bit more leading into it. So, yeah. If we got a, if we got a hunt, you know, plan that's going to be, you know, back country, many miles and whatnot. I'll specifically train for something like that. But as far as elk here on the Oregon, Washington coast, mm -hmm. I think being light on your feet is, is kind of key. You know, we have a lot of trip hazards, I'd call them. Oh yeah. <laughs> so just being, yeah, being, being able to uh, maneuver through this country, you need to, and, and, and there's times we need to be quiet too. So that ability to, you know, step lightly and, and softly and, and when you need to, that's uh, pretty critical. So, I just try not to get too crazy in the off season and you know gain too much weight, but it is what it is. You got to live life to its fullest as well. So yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, not much different with shooting too. You know, as I shoot uh, year round for the most part, not as much as I used to, but uh, I definitely keep my equipment and my uh, my technique somewhat dialed in throughout the seasons so and we try to do a few hunts you know in january and uh in june and you know turkey and april and so you know we're never not focused on some sort of hunting coming relatively soon so same you know we're always shooting i do you know 99 percent of my hunting's all uh with a bow so i'm always tweaking it and doing something with it yeah, I, I, I don't know. In in years past, I spent a lot of time with the bow, constantly. Uh, especially when I started getting well, man, I've been getting a new bow every year for almost twenty mm -hmm. years, but or more than twenty years. What is it? Two twenty? Yeah, twenty twenty two. So twenty one years or whatever. <laughs> but for a very long time i hunted with the same bow for a few years so i'd like developed a relationship with that bow you know you feel comfortable with something and the new bow i would use as like you know to go shoot 3d or whatever you know do what i had to do with it and then i would usually sell it off and keep the old bow and then at some point matthews was like hey no Yuslin, you need to <laughs> you need to be using the new bow so um then when I started doing that, like I spent a lot of time because I wanted to develop a, a relationship. And I say a relationship, it sounds funny, but it's like you, you want to try to develop a relationship with the bow so that there's a certain level of confidence. Mm -hmm. You never want to like feel unfamiliar or, you know, lack confidence in, in the equipment that you're using. And I, that's always been a big thing for me. Yeah, I think you like you can identify when things are changing in your equipment if you're intimate with it. Uh, that's important. Yeah. That's very important. So, you know, you shoot a bow enough and keep twist, string stretch a little bit or something. What You know, something comes loose somewhere, you recognize that very early and not um, way too late. So, And I'm similar. I like to shoot my equipment long enough to get familiar with it. Yeah. I don't get a, bow, a new bow every year, but I get one usually too late in the summer to really get uh well, confident mean, with it but the new bows come out in what in, in like november yeah, and well and if you're like the last me ones to get them so <laughs> yeah yeah you know if you're like me yeah. you know you still got december and january and february to hunt then yeah. you know you don't want to like set up a bow and start hunting with that so you don't even really look at that new bow till march and april right and then you know you got to start the process over again <laughs> so it's definitely it's definitely something that needs uh 
you know, I don't know. I feel like anyway, anyway, my whole point is in years past, I spent a lot of time doing that. And so that I would have that, but these last two years or so, man, I have not had the time to do it at all. And it just, I could feel it. I know I noticed the difference between that and, you know, you're getting older and shit. My eyesight's not as great. And, you know, I can just, I can totally tell, like, I would be confident shooting 150 yards, not, not, not at an animal, but just, you know, in general. And now I'm just like, you know, 50. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, but not 50, but still exactly. It's like mm-hmm. very, it's definitely gone down. Mm-hmm. I think it's achievable to get back to the, you know, to that level of confidence fairly quickly and fairly easily. You just gotta, I just gotta spend the time. But yeah, we had a really wet spring and early summer here. So, mm-hmm. And you have to force yourself to go shoot in some rain. But yeah, I was fortunate enough. We hunted uh, Hawaii back or early June. Yeah, I saw and, that. How uh, was that? Yeah, that was I got, got dialed in for that. Yeah, that's a blast. That's similar to what I would say the antelope hunting is. It's on a spot and stock, uh, pretty much all day action and um, access steer and mouflon sheep. Sweet. I uh, managed to get a mature buck and a uh, full curl ram which was um pretty challenging hunt but put my head down i did it nice how was the weather was it like miserably hot or what well it was hotter than uh, it had been before um just temperatures were probably six seven degrees on average warmer and we did it so we this was our second time doing it uh-huh. i believe it was 20 yeah it was 2020 we did went over there it was in february Mm. and uh you know it was still 80 degrees but this time it was you know mid 80s to uh mid to upper 80s which when there's no wind blowing it's just uh really and there's very little shade in that country so yeah it's an interesting place you know where we're staying is more tropical rained most evenings and then you drive you know 20 miles to the other side of the island or wherever it might be mm. The 20 and then it's completely different climate arid dry almost like hunting uh you know the upper plains of wyoming but gotcha blast man it is a lot of fun there's just a lot of games so you have a lot of opportunity <laughs> yeah i've been wanting to do that and that's like a trip my wife wants to do too so i gotta i gotta make that happen at some point i just oh. gotta figure out when <laughs> you know oh. to squeeze it in there Anyway, I want to switch gears a little bit. Let's mm-hmm. let's talk about your scouting and like what you're doing to choose the spots that you're going to hunt for this season. Yeah, a lot of the information I use for this season is what I gained from last season. So every year I try to do a little bit of exploring. I'll do a lot of e-scouting in the off-season, looking at new places, trying to figure out how the terrain, how the land lays. Uh, you can, you know, anymore with our technology on X and just the aerial mapping imagery systems we have, mm-hmm. you can zoom in close enough to see like trails. Right. And if there's a herd using an area, a meadow or clear cuts or something like that, you can usually zoom in far enough to see the travel paths. And uh, I like to identify some of those places and go visually check them out. Yeah, and then uh, during the season, try to hit a couple of those spots and gain some information for the next year as well. So um, uh, we don't we use cameras a little bit, but no, I don't depend on cameras. It just seems like um, I've I've had cameras in areas where we've not gotten pictures of good bulls and then went back in there and killed good bulls. It's just super tough to get a picture of a a mature Roosevelt in this country. They yeah, you know, they don't they don't travel a ton. They don't need to. They got a lot of vegetation, so yeah, everything's um, right there. On, yeah, and I don't put a whole lot of um, you know leverage on cameras. It's not going to dictate whether I hunt an area or not. It's fascinating. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's fun, but uh, it's by no means how I determine if I'm going to be there or not. You touched on it a little bit. What are some of the things that you're looking for? that you can identify you said trails and you you know you mentioned clear cuts and whatnot right. but what what are some of the things like how are you you know looking at it and like relationship to 
bedding and feed and all that stuff like how do you how do you pick that out and you know what is it that you're looking for exactly that intrigues you yeah from a from an aerial perspective uh 30, foot level i guess you'd call it um mm-hmm. scouting we uh I, I want vast areas that are hard to access you know it doesn't mean there's no roads but deeper canyons uh, wider canyons places where elk can go and hide and not be disturbed Mm-hmm. Big, t- vast timber areas I tend to favor over the years. It, it may not mean there's more elk in those areas, but typically when I find elk, I'm more likely to get a shot on them. It's just the way that the uh, underbrush is. I was going to say, what what is that? You just Because yeah. the older timber, there's less undergrowth yeah. and not, exactly. not as jungly. <laughs> exactly. You know, for years I, I focused on the – where where elk were the majority of the elk quantity over quality of the habitat so and i would end up hunting this reprods which is uh you know replanted timber mm-hmm. dug dug firs and, and hemlock and whatnot and that stuff is so thick that you know i could be within 50 yards of an elk all day long and never get a shot yeah and i just spend day after day after day doing that waste burning my season up or I can go to an area where I have a little bit better opportunity or a little bit more of a of sight curtain, mm-hmm. maybe not encounter as many elk, but when I do, my chances of shot opportunity just drastically go up. So that's the whole thing about elk hunting. It's a, it's a, a numbers game, mm-hmm. right? I want to go places that I have a higher likelihood of finding elk. I want to find elk in a place I have a higher likelihood of, of seeing the elk, which gives me a higher percentage of shot opportunity and then that leads to a higher percentage of kills I and mean, it's just simple numbers um yeah and a lot of times those places have a lot of people in them but you just gotta you know hunt through people and do what you gotta do man everybody's getting in general everybody's getting better at this from what i see oh yeah 100 percent. and yeah it's just it's far more competitive than it was and i enjoy that aspect of it a lot of people don't. Yeah, it's just uh, super fun. So when yeah. I'm looking at a new area, I'm looking for, you know, the trails, the feed, the transition zones between timber and meadows or clear cuts or whatnot. I look real close at those places. That's usually where I can see if uh, animals are using trails and whatnot. Um, and then going there, physically going there, you have this image in your head of what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. You go there, and oftentimes it's completely different. Right. So, so you got to put your feet on the ground in those kind of areas. Um, it's just it, especially over there. It, I would imagine that you know because yeah. everything grows so fast. Like you can, um, that image might be from two years ago. It might be completely different now. You know. Yeah, it's interesting here. You can see in what appears to be an opening. Mm-hmm. You go there, and it's it's literally uh, you know. A, just a, a wall of brush that's mm-hmm. 10 feet tall and it's not really an opening it's an opening in the trees but it's not to the forest floor so exactly it, uh, yeah. what i thought was a meadow is just a pile of uh you know devil's walking clubs yeah so <laughs> jesus that shit <laughs> well, that makes this place challenging makes it fun yeah yeah um that's great so guys are going to be hunting this early part of the season, you know, late August, early September. What are some of the things that you do differently now that time of year versus, you know, when we're second week of September and the ruts, you know, screaming pretty good? Yeah, so I I don't look for the sign like I typically would mid to late season because it's just not there yet. Mm-hmm. you know like the rubs and the activity like that so I, I put less emphasis on that of course when i find the rub then it's likely he's not far from there mm-hmm. um these elk early on when they're still kind of getting that pecking order all all worked out they're very curious so oftentimes they come to you without making a sound mm. um last year on the third of september i went to one of my old spots and, uh, you know, I got five answers and called three bulls within 25 yards in one day. And it's just, it was, wow, it was crazy. That's and then, awesome. um, yeah, 
And what I was trying to do is I was I was trying to find you know the, the big mature herd bulls, mm-hmm. and uh, all the ones that I encountered were you know I'd say teenagers. Gotcha. Uh, but super fun, man. Super fun. And then it turned off mid season because uh, just the way the weather was and the moon phase. I think I would have to say the activity was happening in the night, and the daytime had shut down quite a bit. And you had to work real hard at it. It's interesting to hear you say that because I I bring that up all the time and there's a lot of times like people, uh, I guess, argue with me that that's a thing, (laughs) you know, I I know, I know for sure here in in Arizona and the places where it's really hot, it's very affected by that Mm -hmm. because they much rather be out there at nighttime and in the cooler weather running around. Yeah, 100%. You know, a lot of times it's not an issue here. It doesn't matter. We've got some overcast. Right. It just it totally takes that away. I don't think the lunar, I don't think it's a, it's a full moon versus not full moon that triggers anything in the elk, but it's definitely, you know, a bright moon lit night yeah. is like daylight to them. Exactly. That's my And it's my cooler. And when they're putting all their energy and effort and activity at night, they're not doing that in the day. And that's pretty much what was happening. We had calm, crisp nights. There was, I didn't even need a flashlight in most cases. Mm. And uh, when it's those conditions, um, it makes it tough for warmer, you know, 75, 80 degree days. Oh, yeah, those um, super hot 75, yeah. 80 degree days. <laughs> <laughs> You know, oh, brutal. Yeah. <laughs> so well, hopefully, I'll you know, show you brutal. We get overcast. Yeah. yeah. Ideally, we have overcast nights, and then we have to worry about the moon phase. Right. But uh, you know, and looking at this year, it looks like the mid part of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, is um, it's going to be the the bright nights if it's clear. So. Yeah, I saw that. I was trying to avoid it actually because. You know, like we just had that conversation. I'm kind of a, uh, I kind of watch the moon. I'm, a, I'm, I don't live and die by it, but because mm-hmm. I know guys that do, especially whitetail hunters that do. But um, there's a, I use this, what's it called? Stardate moon uh, face. Yeah, Stardate moon face. And um, yeah, I always like every time I'm planning a trip and I have some flexibility. I really try to to look at the moon. So we got full moon from from the eighth. Mm-hmm. So the tenth is the actual full moon. From the eighth through about the thirteenth, that those days is going to be pretty damn bright. So actually, I think depending on where you're at, like here, peak rut kind of starts somewhere around the fifteenth and, and goes through the first week of October. We're gonna have a dark moon those last couple of weeks, which is good. Yeah, I I think that'll be, and I'll be in Colorado. This is a new unit for me. I've never hunted there before, so I don't know what to expect as far as you know the um, reaction to that. But I think, and I think I start on the seventeenth, so I'm I'm good. Like I'm gonna be seventeenth. It's half moon at that point already. So and it's waning. So, yeah. we sh- I should have pretty dark, pretty dark nights, and hopefully that'll provide more daytime activity. Yeah, I drew the same conclusion looking at it. Early on, it should be pretty good. Yep, you know, pretty pretty dark until about the second week, and then it's going to be bright for a solid week, and then it's going to start getting better towards the end. Which you know, I mean, if I had to just plan a vacation a week if i had to hunt a week every year it'd be the third week of september yeah because i know the animals are doing their thing and the weather is always you never know so (laughs) so if if you hear that i'm going there just count that it's going to be raining (laughs) well and windy (laughs) then that doesn't matter what time of year that is seriously i just bring bring the rain to bring the rain and the wind i I mean it's not even a joke man because even Uh even going out there for blacktail i did it in december and it was rainy snowy windy the whole time and uh when did I go? I went in August for Blacktail. When is the season open there? 
Uh, for, for Blacktail, it'll be like the 1st of September. Oh, it is the 1st of September? Maybe it was that early, just early September yeah. then. I remember going for early season, like for the opener, and oh my God, man, it was brutal. Just actually, that was the first, that was a trip that I had the first time I ever hunted Roosevelt's, too. And I was literally soaked head to toe the whole trip. I left my boots there. Yeah. I had a, I was wearing like, at the time, I used to like to wear hikers kind of, but I had these waterproof Merrells, like they were the black rubberized ones. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever seen those or not, but brand spanking new boots. And I left them because they were so laden with water. They were too heavy and I would have had to pay more. And I was like, you know what? Fucking leave me safe. <laughs> I was so pissed. And it turns out that with a guy that I, that, uh, I, I actually did like a, a drop camp thing. So the guy that I uh, left them at with, he ended up wearing them for the next couple of years. He's like, I love those boots. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty cool. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it destroys boots when you're walking around and soggy boots. It just stretches them out. And yeah. Rots them, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was. But yeah, this country is really hard to stay dry in if it's, uh, if it's wet and you know, elk hunting in it's just miserable, in my opinion. You can't hear the bulls. They don't, you know, they're not as active. They're not, their world, you know, goes from, you know, they hear something a mile away and they're interested. And when it rains and windy, it just has to be right in front of them. So, yeah, makes it makes it a lot harder on us. I know I usually just, I mean, if I'm if I go hunting on those windy, rainy days, it's it's to look for sign for places when the sun breaks or when the sun comes out and the wind calms down but yeah um, well you kind of had the luxury to have a a long you know season you have it planned out that you're there for a couple weeks or whatever you know for a guy like me or somebody else that's coming out there to haunt it's like shit you got you just got to deal with what you got (laughs) you know yeah it's just a good guess you know and that's that third week of september is always a good guess because you never know when the rains are going to start mm-hmm. here. Right. And, uh, it's a coin toss. Um, usually though, out of a week, we're going to get three or four good days mm-hmm. out of that. Yeah. If not more. So if I had to, you know, like I've told you before, I mean, if, if you only have one week to come out, come this week, it's the best week there is. Yeah, for sure. Well, but no, I expect the early the early part of the season to be good, and then the late part of the season to be great. So, um, at least that's just my expectations from sitting on my couch. Yep. We'll see what materializes when we're out there doing it. Looking in the crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, uh, do you have any uh, cool stories? It's been a while since I had you on. Um, any elk stories that you want to share with us and kind of run us through a detailed. Uh, account of the event so we can kind of learn from it and pick apart what you did and what you didn't do right and right yeah yeah we can uh, revisit a couple of the hunts from last season so uh we were having a hard time this was um mid-season uh, we had the bright moonlit nights <clears throat> we're hunting in areas that we've hunted before so our expectations were elk to be in places that we uh, we knew elk to be historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple things we had happen previous to the season is the season before we had like an unprecedented east easterly wind uh, event, and it and it knocked a ton of trees over. Okay, and then and then later in the winter we had uh, an ice storm in the same area that knocked a ton more trees over. Mm. So we're finding where we're going. We weren't, we weren't getting elk and we weren't finding the sign. We weren't finding elk in the places we normally were. And, um, and starting to walk down these ridges that we typically go down to get better, uh, you know, places to bugle up and down these canyons. Just navigating this country was super hard. Like, I mean, going around treetops, from the ice storm or have to climb over trees from the windstorm that, that totally changed the elks, you know, habits. Right. Uh, they can't get through it easy yeah. Either. 
it's something I'd never dealt with before and, and did not plan for, which I guess I should have really put more thought into it. Caught us off guard. So you know, what we normally would do wasn't working. So we had to uh, we just had to go places that we'd not, I wouldn't expect elk to be. And we were finding elk. And in this one particular case, is, there's like, we weren't getting answers, basically, probably because of the, the moonlight night. But um, I found fresh elk sign right in the road. I mean, it was like steaming pile of elk crap. So, uh, mm. man, let's let's stop. Let's. There's elk right here. They're close. Let's figure these things out. Let's see what we got to do. And 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 typically in September, you find elk sign. There's going to be a bull with a group of cows. It's most likely the case. Mm-hmm. So let's let's treat this like we know there's a bull there. So we go, we were working towards where these elk were, were heading and, and they're, they're right there within a couple hundred yards of us. We can hear brush breaking. So we just ramp up the calling, ramp up the calling. And you could tell we had a group of cows down to our right, probably about 150 yards. And there was one elk, probably about a hundred yards, slightly to our left. That was, you know, thrashing. It was a bull for sure. And uh, so we were working in on that bull or what we believed to be the bull. And we had to get, we had to get inside of a hundred yards to get that thing to even say anything to us. Mm. He got mad. He finally screamed at us to come running in. And one of the good reasons why we don't, you know, selectively hunt thick reprod like we were in on this particular situation, this bull came charging right in. I could see the tops of his horns. And he's not 10 yards away from Corey, who was going to be shooting. <laughs> and uh, there's no shot. I can see the tops of his head, his horns. He's thrashing brush. He's doing everything you want. He comes charging right into us, which in most cases, that's 10, 12-yard shot. That's a dead animal. Right. And and he, Corey, could ne- Corey never saw him. Oh, Jesus. And because and I had a little better vantage point, I was above him. I could see his horns, but Corey never did see that. And, uh, you know, Corey's like six, two. Yeah. I was going to say, he's a tall guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a tall guy. And, uh, it's just crazy. And you're in so close on an animal for too long and it just ends up not working out. And that's the case here is, is they busted. And so we just immediately stopped. We didn't pursue or anything. Mm-hmm. We just let them kind of filter off and then, then we had a conversation. What are we going to do? Are we going to pursue them? Are we going to slowly work towards them, try to get them worked back up, let them forget about that bad um, situation that just happened? Right. Uh, we decided to, to go back out, give them several hours, come back and try to locate them. And, and we never heard that elk again. Ugh. You know, we, we pulled out of there. We gave him several hours, basically ate lunch, and then went back and tried to find him. And he wouldn't answer. So, um, a couple things to take from that is, um, the terrain you're in, it just, you know, solidifies my, the reason why I try not to hunt thick, thick reprod and whatnot. Right. And number two is once you find them, man, don't, don't leave them. Mm. That was, that was my mistake. That was my call to pull out and give them some time. Uh, we should have just sat down right there stayed within earshot of them and just listening to what they're doing, like moving off and then slowly keeping up with them until, until we could finally get him to answer again, because we ended up spending several days without action hmm. after that, trying going back, trying to find that herd and just never could do it. Gotcha. Um, you know, yeah, I think, I think we gave up a little bit. Corey and I, and I, it was actually the same bull that you came in with us on the very next day oh, the or last one. Yeah. two days later or something like that. No, it wasn't the last one because the last one time was Wood Anthony. It was the, the time before that. Um, well, it was the last day of your hunt. Yes, yes, yes. Correct. The last day of my yeah. hunt. And it was raining. Yeah, it was. And it was raining that day too. And Corey and I were on that and we did that. We stayed with the herd the mm-hmm. whole day. And this is kind of hard to do in that country. We did like seven miles. Yeah. Like really hard to do, you know, we just, and it was all <laughs> in circles. Like we just kept going yeah. in circles. Down Seven in, miles and then you go nowhere. Yeah. Exactly. We went nowhere, but we were on that and I had an opportunity. And the only reason I didn't take it was because 
as you know, I had shot that bull mm-hmm. a couple of days earlier and it was at the same distance. It was like that 50 yard mark. And I was just like, I didn't want to screw it up again. I didn't want to wound another bull. And I, in hindsight, I was like, you know, dude, this is like, this is what I do. This is like, that's my slam. Mm-hmm. I should have slammed. I should, that was a slam dunk for me and I should have taken it and I did it. But I just was being overly cautious because of my, of a bad experience that happened a little bit, you know, earlier on in the hunt. But no, I, well, you made you made the right call in my opinion. Yeah. You weren't confident. So don't do it. Yeah. You know what it was? It was, that's that year that I came out with the super, Mm -hmm. and I say super heavy, that was super heavy for me. Uh, you guys run like another hundred grains on top of that. I was at like six hundred and something grain arrow, and I just felt like it's. Well, we were. We've slightly changed our setup. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I've gone. I've gone to a lighter setup, and yeah, you and I talked about uh, that. What do you? Yeah. What's your? What's your total weight now? I am. Uh, let's see, one sixty up front. Okay. With a fifty grain insert plus a three hundred grain arrow. So, okay. I'm a little over five, so but it's a that's lot not, flatter than yeah. Five fives to me yeah. is that's I mean that's you know elk weight you know that's good. Yeah. I mean yeah, and, and I still shoot I still shoot lighter just, than that, but go ahead. Yeah, I just could not recognize my sight windows anymore. Um, what appeared to be a shot mm-hmm. end up hitting something out of my my sight window that I didn't consider a a obstacle. Right. You, the the trajectory is too much of a yeah. too much of a yeah. lob versus yeah. yeah and you don't you don't pay attention to those you know those branches that like you said they're not in your sight picture you mm-hmm. you, you you look at you know several feet above and several feet below and and that's it you don't really think oh shit my my arrow's got to yeah. go up 13 feet <laughs> above yeah. my head yeah. before you know when you're shooting those heavy those heavier setups and i agree with you like i found it all to be about i build my setups now to i want my arrow to be tra- traveling about 280 feet per second so however heavy i can make it to get before i start dropping below that threshold that's what i do so like my my elk arrow it's a 250 shaft and i'm only shooting 125 grain up front so uh like because i got away from them i did a lot of testing with the foc thing and i i didn't I, i'm like a six fifty fourteen 14 to 16 percent foc is all i need mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. is what i came to and then um i think the total weight on that arrow is like four 73 or something like that it's not a four no 489 i don't know i gotta go back and look but it's not super heavy it's below 500 um and man i i've killed two elk now with that set up and i but of course i i shot several elk with my my 415 grain and 420 grain arrow too so it's just a i i like i like having enough speed i don't need to be a speed demon i don't need to be like you know 320 feet per second or anything like that but i i found that it's kind of the best of all worlds for me to have a little happy medium of everything yeah so yeah you know and i went to a heavy setup not for you know penetration on the elk by itself that really wasn't even a consideration yeah although i do think i do think a heavier setup a bad shot might end up better but that's not what I'm planning for. Right. It was it was the it was the soft vegetation we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, right um, yeah. That you know, at 20 yards, if I hit a, a a small twig or something, I don't want my arrow deflecting beyond, uh, you know, yeah, the kill zone. Right. And so you know, something heavier just theoretically carries um, through. Well. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll change its course at a smaller rate. So it's basically what what drove me to changing to heavier setup, and yeah. then uh, and then it created other problems because now I more obstacles are in my way. So it just kind of canceled itself out. 
So now I've pulled back on it, trying to find that medium, happy medium. And I think right around the 500 grains seems to be working for me at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I just got to put it you know, to the test. I do know that the penetration with this setup is, is, is amazing. Of course, with a sharp broadhead, you're, you're going to, you should have that anyway. So, right, right. Yeah. No, it's, it's one of those things though. It, it's working for you until it doesn't work for you. <laughs> then we're going to change it again. You know, it's, I, I, you're always chasing because I, I feel like no matter what, especially when it comes to anything engineering wise, it's you always giving up something to gain something. And yeah, for sure. So when you lose something somewhere else and, and none of us can afford to have, well, I shouldn't say none of us, but most of us cannot afford to have, you know, or, or have the time to reset up a bow for every situation, you know? Right. Um, so you can't have five bows or six bows for, with different arrow setups and different, you know, what for different animals and whatnot. But anyway. Yeah. Lightening my setup is, is, you know, allowed me to, cause you know, mule deer and, uh, axis deer and, and stuff like that. Oh, axis deer that, fast. that requires a little, a little faster setup their reaction time is a lot less than an elk so um or a lot faster i should say yeah, yeah, yeah. of um, course so that definitely helped on that front as well and coos deer you know geez yeah um yeah you, you, <laughs> you, know, you can't you learn that enough for yeah you learned that the first time you were out yeah i remember um it's an unsettling feeling knowing that when a, if it's looking at me uh-huh. Even if it's 20 yards, yeah, that it's going to to be gone before my arrow gets there. That's crazy. It is crazy. It's hard. It's hard to wrap your head around yeah. that. Yeah. So the key there was they not looking at me. Number one. Yeah. <laughs> number two, being far enough away that they don't jump at the string. You know, give a little distance there, 60 yards, 50 yards versus you know point blank but yeah it's a it's a it's a give and a take thing um, mm-hmm. i would love to have an arrow set up for every species i hunt that's just not feasible no no same here i just don't have time like yeah. this like, just this season alone i'm going and i'm not this is not oh poor was me by any means guys but i i go from this hunt I'm home for a couple of weeks, so I have a little bit of time. But then I go to Colorado for elk, and then when I come back from Colorado, I have like four days, and then I leave for a moose hunt, and then wow. I come back, and then I have a deer hunt, and then after that, it's like you know, it's like one thing after another, and you know, it's all different with different terrain. Well, I mean, I guess the moose and the, the elk would kind of be this same type of setup, but yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it's just you can't, you just don't it's just not feasible to do that so anyway um yeah man i guess uh that's all i got for you if mm-hmm. unless you got any uh closing comments for anybody that uh that's listening in for leading up to the season just have fun man we uh we're fortunate to have these opportunities year after year to go out and chase our own food and uh yeah it's just a blessing quite honestly Keeps yeah. us healthy, keeps us focused on something, keeps us from going insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, turn the damn TV off and uh, just enjoy your time out there with your friends and, and the wildlife. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Shannon, man. I appreciate you coming on and I uh, hope you have a good season. And uh, my, my goal is I think I'm going to come out again next year. Anthony awesome. and I, Anthony and I were talking about it, so I got to I got to get a freaking Rosie. So, oh, man, I feel like I owe you guys so much too. Anthony came out, and that's the shittiest week I've ever had. <laughs> the weather was right, and we could not scratch a bull. Man, it was just I felt so horrible. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't owe us anything, man. But that's. Uh. But you know, it's just that's uh, that's that's hunting, man. It happens. Oh, it happens. Yeah. It's just one of those things. And elk hunting's even more so that way, especially when you're hunting in a place like that. 
because yeah. you can't really switch to glassing. I mean, I guess you can a no. little bit. There's yeah, some, you, a little bit. Yeah, there's some places where you can go glass some open hillsides or whatever, but or burns or clear cuts or whatever. But yeah. it's not. It's not a real. It's not something you want to rely. It takes on. about. Yeah, it takes about an hour to be done with that. Yeah. I mean, we just don't hunt areas. There's a ton of opportunity for glass. And when you do find it, mm-hmm. you can glass that hillside in an hour and you're done. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, man, I sure felt horrible because we, I pounded that country too. I really tried. Yeah. Anthony and, said, uh, he's like, man, we put, yeah. in, we put in some miles trying to and on, find. I, I should have left. I should have went somewhere completely different. Should have totally went farther South or North or something. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't willing to, um, I, to, I, to, I think to that's a that lesson. Big of a move. I think that's yeah. a lesson right it there. Is. You know, I, yeah. I, we've all done it. You, you have success in an area or you have, good intel or whatever the case may be is and you put all your eggs in this basket and you're not willing to take those eggs back out and, yeah. and go make an omelet somewhere else you know it's like i I've, I've done it too but i've also done it to the point i've also done the opposite too where i've had too many options and i don't and i keep bouncing around too much and i spend yeah. too much time traveling so it's finding that like hey i'm gonna put in x amount of time here if i can't turn something up you know, it's like, hey, let's let's make a new plan. Let's let's go somewhere else. Let's do something different because the yeah. same what we're whatever it is we're doing is not working. You know, so yeah. There's two ways to hunt this country: is you can either dig deep and pick apart the areas you are at and mm-hmm. focus on the three, four, five bulls that's in this area, mm-hmm. or you can skim hunt it, which is what I like to do more often, and that's flying through this country, bouncing from spot to spot, trying to find a bull in the right mindset mm-hmm. that's going to come in, you're going to get an opportunity. And I was trying to do that with Anthony, except we weren't going far enough away. Mm-hmm. We just kept, I kept fast hunting a small area and that was not working. Mm-hmm. So we should have stopped, picked it apart or broadened our horizons by, you know, a hundred miles and just flew down the Oregon coast to somewhere completely new. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. know. I may not want to bring Anthony with me next year then, because the year I went with him, we, we popped the hole in the oil pan and then he went out with you and then he might be the black cloud. I thought I was the black cloud. He might be the black cloud. (laughs) He's definitely a challenge, (laughs) but I love that man. And, uh, I wouldn't let you come out here without him. (laughs) Yeah. He's, 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 he's a good, he's a good guy. You guys guys are both fun, man. Both fun. And, uh, just super good people. And like I said, hunting's given me an opportunity to meet individuals like yourselves. And it's been a fortunate thing. Likewise. Likewise. Well, thanks Shannon. Appreciate it. All right, John. We'll, Take uh, care, we'll talk to you soon. Good luck. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next show.